This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the International Dispatch, Sir Christopher Gilbert, looks at different ways Japan celebrates Valentine's Day. It's very backwards from how we do it, plus a look at a very wet trucker protest in New Zealand with Canadian flags and a swearing ghost and royal ketchup. We also had a conversation about confirmation bias, what it is, and how it becomes so powerful, profitable, and dangerous on the internet. Greg Fish is back with a world of weird things. He shares weird ways our brain seeks out ways to be right and how confirmation bias may have become a global industry to make Make money at our expense. Plus, are you okay with snakes on a plane? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with? Now, this is unfair, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are you okay with karma? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I know what context you're speaking of. I now, like karma. I only say karma because the amount of times that we've lost. Timber, and this, yeah. to me, I'm taking the lens of payback and karma. Yep. You okay with yeah. karma there, BK? I am. Um, I think that the actual... It gets misused. I think the actual meaning of karma in its original meaning is the 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 sum of a person's actions like the good you put out into the world comes back to you a lot we are using karma in our life now as like you get what you deserve i don't know yeah well yeah as the, a payback oh. as some sort of penance yeah, as opposed to um as a negative thing though like no ever. karma was absolutely meant as uh like destiny or fate not as um oh yeah i'll show you right like it wasn't ever like that by its true meaning. But in this particular case, I'm in a, oh, yeah, I'll show you kind of mood. Um, the story that we're talking about probably needs to start with a, I don't know, a little something like this. Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. Now, I don't know if you heard with Toby Kerr at the top of the hour. But for the second Olympics in a row, the United States men's hockey team has been eliminated. Sorry to our American listeners. It feels pretty good, I'm not going to lie. It does feel good. And this it's like, I know that we have lots of listeners who are across the border, and I'm really sorry to be so competitive, but... You know, I know that BK is a half American. Half American, yeah. So I think the better term for this would have been schadenfreude. Oh, Schadenfreude. Pleasure, yeah. <laughs> Pleasure derived from someone else's misfortune. So I think... Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've got the Schadenfreudes or whatever smart guy there talked about. So which part of American are you, by the way? Are you the Amer or are you the Ican? I don't know. I've, to oh. be honest, I've never had an address there. Like, I, I have the citizenship, but I've never actually resided in the country just because yeah. I came out of an American womb. So, that's a lot of info. Um, well, that's so accurate. That's, that's why I have it. It's true. It's true. It is true. It's, it's very uh, anatomically correct. <laughs> very. And also geo geopolitically, biologically correct. Anyway, so, how do you feel about the story there, uh, half Canadian, half American? Probably like a lot of Americans, I don't pay attention to hockey. Oh. 
Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is nah, really we'll, good. I we'll like give that. them that one, won't we? We'll good give answer. them that one. All right. So, um, the usually the biggest roadblock for Canada, of course, is the very talented United States team, but they have been eliminated now at the Olympics. That's never a free pass for Canada, should we add? But no, um, it certainly not. helps. Does make things a little easier. So we appreciate that. Uh, are you okay with snakes? Hmm. I uh, like okay. they move really fast. It's weird. Yeah, but I, snakes are, I think, inherently pretty chill. Like if you tr- if you come across one in the wild, stay away. But if you see a snake that's like domesticated, they're pretty they're pretty chill, and I think they're kind of cute. Not gonna lie, I wouldn't own one. I don't want one, but I think snakes see, are cool. When you said if you come across one in the wild, that made me think if you come across one in your house. So I also mm. will panic in the wild or in my house. Mm. Thank you. Okay, you should stay away then. Hmm. Uh, Brendan Kelly? Uh, yeah, they're not that bad. You know, I've touched a few snakes, like, from friends have had them, and they don't feel like you'd expect at all. Uh, everyone always thinks they're going to be slimy or weird. They don't. No. They're, no. They feel like a leather jacket to an extent. And... <laughs> Good leather jacket. Yeah, good leather jacket. And just know the snakes in your area. Like in Niagara, we had the Mississauga Rattler. He wanted to stay away from that one. But majority of them are harmless. And they're just they just look different. Just let them be and they'll let you be. Mm. They surprise you because they don't look when you see them the last time I saw was probably like a gardener snake by the lake in my parents' lake house. This is probably 10 or 15 years ago. And so when you see them, they surprise you because they move differently. So they give you the heebie-jeebies. Well, how about this? Are you okay with snakes on a plane? Like this movie, Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, my word. That movie is amazing. I mean, it's terrible, but like cult classic. I remember we were on summer vacation in Kelowna, and we rented this house my dad, we all went upstairs to watch this movie. And I, I like my dad, I'm pretty sure my dad spilt a glass of wine because of how hard he was laughing at Samuel Jackson's general presence in that film. 2006. Wow. Incredible, horrible, amazing movie. Here's a clip. You know, all those security scenarios we ran. I'm smack in the middle of one we didn't think of. Everything you've heard. You guys hear that? Everything you've seen. Why are there snakes on this plane? Everything you've read. Eddie can managed to fill the plane with poisonous snakes. <laughs> is true. Do you like roller coaster rides? Snakes on a plane. You, you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm good. Rated R. Now playing. Rated well, R. because nothing goes right these days, it seems. Um, the setting of snakes on a plane might sound impossible, and yet this is 2022. So let's not shoot down any terrible idea. In a video posted on TikTok, the silhouette of a long snake can be seen above passengers on an AirAsia flight, leaving the Malaysian capital of Kuala Lumpur to the city of Taiwu, Taiwau, excuse me, uh, on February 10th. The caption on the video, which has over 2.6 million views, by the way, translates to snake in plane. 
Once the pilot was told, the flight was rerouted to the city of Kuching, around 550 miles west of Taiwu. Taiwan, pardon me. Ling added that the plane was then fumigated, assuming the snake was taken out before passengers were put back on the plane to reach the destination. Ooh. Like it Not happened. okay with snakes on a plane. Not okay right. with that. That is the uh, nightmare. Okay, so Ryan O'Donnell, um, have you ever watched snakes on a plane on a Sunday afternoon on normal television? <laughs> Are you uh, are you referring to the hilarious ways that the TV censors some lines uh, so they're yeah. f- you know appropriate for the time slot? Then in, yes, I have. In such a way that there's just you cannot distinct like you would never know that there was foul language in these movies because they just overdub the voices of the characters and make it like they don't bleep it. No, that'd be too obvious. They have to put in some other words. On the Sunday afternoon overdubs. Do they they still do that? I thought, like, as a society, we had lost our moral compass by now. We just let everything fly. (laughs) Well, when they did do it, it was very, very good. For example, if you ever did watch Snakes on a Plane on cable TV on a Sunday afternoon, it sounded a little more like this. (laughs) Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! <laughs> What's a Monday to Friday, Friday plane? Is it just fly during five days a week? Yeah, okay. <laughs> At oh. least that sounds like Samuel L. Jackson's voice in the overdub. It does, which is good. It's even better when it doesn't. So we grabbed a couple of these. The worst overdubs from the make a Sunday movie clean file, like the Big Lebowski. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? <laughs> when you find a stranger in the Alps, uh, the original line is more like when you blank a blank and a blank. <laughs> see, but you would never know. Right? Never. If you didn't never know that enough. movie, no idea. you would never know. I mean, the best ones were sort of the, the oh, shoo, you, you, fruitin', rootin', tootin'. Kind of other voices that are over it, like, you know, um, the Shift TV Club and boobies, stuff like that. Mm. How about movies. the movie? <laughs> movie with an M. With How an about M. the movie Casino? Freak you, freak you, Sam Rothstein. Freak you. <laughs> freak you. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. To be honest, that's, that's how I like it. My phone freezes. That's what I say to it. Like Freaky, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, not even like the bad that. words. I say that usually. Yeah. I did watch um, Reacher, the TV show mm-hmm. on Prime, the series, and one of the characters in Reacher, Finley, the police detective, he doesn't swear. He says it's like a lack of a ethical compass kind of thing. And then at the very end of the mo- of the series, not going to give you the spoiler alert of how it ends, but he they finally Reacher finally says, "I think you just need to swear because this is stupid." And he finally like lays it out on him and just goes on this rant of foul language. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I worry that might happen to me sometimes. I never like I almost never swear. When I first started this particular position, I expressed to a good friend of mine, I was like, Well, I don't accidentally swear on the air and he just looked at me and said, You don't swear. You've never swore once in your life. You, mm. you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I did pretty good, except for the one times I've like the the F in shift heads is very important, I learned once by accident. Oh yeah. 
I remember Twice, that. Actually. That was fantastic. That was excellent. You know, for, the best part about that one is when I said I was talking to the Shifthead audience, our nighttime community, and then I forgot the F, and take a wild guess what piece of audio all of the bosses in the chain listened to, what what piece of show they were like, let's listen to this together, all, bo- all the boss people, and hear what they're doing on the Shift these days. That was the one. Yeah, it always <laughs> is. It always well. is. Yeah. Like anytime I make a technical error, I'm like, well, that's the one the bosses are going to pull. Mm-hmm. And it works. That's the way it goes. Are you okay with French fries? It, um, yeah. I is that is that hard to say no to? Like they're just they're, they're just French delightful. The there are so bad French really? fries, but I'd still rather eat bad French fries than a salad ninety percent of the time. That's how good they are. No, couldn't do it, man. Good French fries no? only. Bad French fries, I'm out. See ya. Soggy. Like what's a bad uh, French fry to you? Oh, they're soggy. They're floppy. They're not caught right. They're greasy, too greasy. Like no salt. Ugh. I got a hot take. Okay. <laughs> uh Oh, uh, I McDo- like cauliflower. Yeah, <laughs> this is that. I don't like McDonald's fries at all. Really? I love fries. Really? Yeah, I'm a big fries, and I'm not too picky with every other type of fry. But for some reason, I don't like the McDonald's ones. I just don't. They don't. What are the best French fries in the world? They're the best. Oh, well, yeah, best nice, ones you ever had. Nice big, like thick wedges type things that you know usually a non-chain restaurant sells. I can't really think of a specific place. I just. I'm not. I just the McDonald's doesn't strike me as real fries. Huh? They're thin and they're questionable as to whether they're potatoes. Canadian wow. potatoes, I think. Now, I mind so. you, the, the company ju- could just be called Canadian potatoes, and then they can say it's Canadian potatoes. That could be the That's case. Right. Now, um, I would say the best fries I've ever had that I recall was at the pub at Red Deer College. Now, this was like 30 years ago, so they've probably changed the recipe, but that was amazing. Some of the best French fries ever. I will give kudos. I love McDonald's fries. I will say Wendy's fries are are finally getting better. And W fries with their seasoning salt, top notch. A couple of weeks ago in Ottawa, though, I went to the Laugh Chateau Lafayette, which is like the oldest. They market themselves as like the oldest pub in Ottawa, 100 and some years old. 1849 is when they say. Legendary watering hole dating from 1849. And it is one of those absolutely divey, wonderful, dumpy, perfect places. Their fries were some of the best fries I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Magic in a dive bar for, for right. French fries. Even here in Calgary, same thing with uh, Dickens Pub. Their fries, at like especially 2 o'clock in the morning when you've been dancing to New Wave all night, those fries hit different. <laughs> See, there you go, BK. Yeah, you I can suppose. get celery sticks and dip. You'll be fine. Okay. That's good. As I stand in the corner and listen to the new wave. <laughs> All right. Seems like a silly question. What about the smell of those fried potatoes? It's amazing, right? Like you can just smell it when you walk in. It gets in your clothes. You take it everywhere and you use it to make everyone fall in what? Fall in love with you? The Idaho Potato Commission has launched a new product just in time for Valentine's Day. It's called Freet by Idaho. It is a French fry scented perfume. Palm frite is how you say French fry in 
French. Look at that. One Holland the, Hall education. Exactly. Four years, and that's all I can remember. Oh, the please. IPC cites a survey that says 90% of Americans find the smell of French fries irresistible. And there seems to be some buyers. It's already sold out on the IPC website. But anyone can enter into a giveaway for a free bottle. You can do so on their Instagram account. <laughs> okay. Um, that's from KOTV6. Idaho Commission has additional potato merchandise available for those addicted to potatoes. Uh, French fry holder, Idaho potato playing cards, and a miniature potato hauling truck at a three-foot-tall Spuddy Buddy. Not quite sure what that is. I would. I need to correct the American French-speaking lady because palm frites is not really... It's a slang term that some places will call it, but most mm. places won't. Most places will call it frites. Les frites. Um, because, and I've heard this argument because I have a, a couple friend of mine. She is very franglais, Franglish, and he is very proper French because his mom was a, a French language teacher. And the argument they would always get into is un pomme de terre, un patate. And in Canada, for example, un patate would be a potato. But if you go to France, pomme de terre, apple of the earth would be. Um, so technically, it's les pommes de terre frites. Pomme frites is slang and not heard very many places. Just feel like we got to throw that out there. So, sorry, just, that's your takeaway. For, good point. That's your takeaway, though, from the fact that you can smell like a French fry wherever you go. Yeah. My, that's not your takeaway? My takeaway is I could smell like a French fry. But the thing is, I'd rather smell like a PEI potato. I know the argument that Idaho potatoes are better, but no, no. I Maritime potatoes oh, no. are better. PEI. I vote Canada. I'd rather smell like a PEI potato. But that sounds like slang for something, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm a potato. <laughs> I'll do half and half. Just to... Cause yeah, just, yeah cause right. right. It's just half right. and half, yeah. So one of my... One side will smell like P.I. and the other side will smell like Idaho. I don't know. Hey, man. But I guess romance is for everybody. And sometimes they say like to their heart is through their stomach. And if they're hungry and you smell like French fries, I don't think I think that's kind of a no brainer. Sounds efficient. Almost. Let's say it's kind of like the Canadian Tire Candle, though, isn't it? The question is, whose French fries do you smell like? This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. You heard that right. Live from Japan, Mr. New Zealand, Chris Gilbert. Hey, buddy. Live, live, live. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thank you very much. You're feeling good? You're uh, back at it again after being COVIDed? Yeah, no, I, I'm fully COVID. I've got my COVID stamp. I'm in the COVID Cool Kids Club. And I was doing great, but then uh, you brought up Lord of the Rings, and I started wilting into my sofa. Um, just as a New Zealander, you know, any mention of Lord of the Rings, and, you know, we just start, you know, our, our, our facial muscles relax, and our words become slurred. And it's kind of like kryptonite for us, really, any mention of that series. Really? Yeah. I thought you'd be very it. proud. It's, it, it's, you know? I know it's too much because anything that happens that's big in New Zealand is excessively big. For example, uh, we won a snowboarding gold medal 
it was news for like four days. And so if uh, somebody makes a, 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 a trilogy of uh, four-hour films that uh, win a whole bunch of you know, Oscars and Golden Globes and stuff and has the whole world talking, that takes up the news cycle for a good 15 years. And so after that point, you get kind of sick of it. And, uh, and especially as someone who's traveled you know, a little bit, everywhere you go, you're like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, and I put my fingers in my ears and I say, I'm from New Zealand. And they're like, oh, it's Lord of the Rings. I'm like, yes, I know. I know. Yes, it's Lord of the Rings. It's the Lord of the Rings. We're all hobbits. And so I, I, I think we all have some residual PTSD um, from the whole Lord of the Rings saga. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know that. Who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, don't bring it up to a, to a Kiwi if you, if you uh, want to keep your friends. Very good. I had no idea. Now I've, I've learned my lesson. Um, what about, um, it was, uh, did you have a, your first Valentine's day being married? How did that go? Ah, uh, I did. And you know what? She bought me a chocolate, but she bought me a chocolate ahead of time. And I didn't know it was a Valentine's chocolate. And so I didn't, we don't really do Valentine's day. Um, so I didn't get anything back. And also, and I feel bad because she told me on Valentine's Day, the chocolate that she gave me a, a, like a week ahead um, was a Valentine's chocolate. I didn't know that. I would have reciprocated. But in Japan, uh, Valentine's Day doesn't really, you know, it's not really like, I love you, have a card and a chocolate. It's more like, I'm a girl and you're a boy, so I'm going to give you something. <laughs> And in Japan, Valentine's Day is is a, the day that um, girls give boys things. Uh, not boys don't give anything to girls usually. It's it's a very um, heteronormative country, and oh, you know it's still quite a sexist country it seems. So g- girls girls do the Valentine's Daying, and and awkwardly enough, colleagues as well. Colleagues give each other stuff on really? Valentine's Day as well. Yeah, so when I first came here years ago, like seven years ago, my first job here was an English teaching job. And on Valentine's Day, my kids all came and gave me chocolates and and, and cookies and stuff. And I was like, well, this is wildly inappropriate, but okay, sure. Well, thank you. Um, but little did I know that it's, you know, that it's just a day that you give people stuff and treats. Um, if you're in a romantic relationship, the men give the ladies something a month later on March 14th, which is White Day. And I have no idea where that name comes from. And I have no idea how this started because, you know, obviously Valentine's is an imported holiday here, but not holiday, mm-hmm. but occasion. So I have no idea where White Day comes from. But, you know, Japan is kind of a, a gift-giving culture. Every time you bump into someone in the street, you have to, you know, give them a a packet of rice crackers and start apologizing profusely, um, you know, and like at our wedding, we had our wedding last November, guys. Um, well, I guess we had to ask them no gifts because if they get you a gift, the protocol is usually you have to get them a gift back. That's about half the value of what they gave what? you. Uh, yeah. And then the gift giving cycle just spirals out of control. They have to give you a gift, and they have to give you a gift. You know that lady that bought a house with a bobby pin or whatever it was? She traded yeah. upwards. It's like that in reverse. It's ever-decreasing circles of smaller and smaller gifts <laughs> until amazing. you end up back at the rice crackers. Yeah. So, you know, so, happy Valentine's Day. So how was the chocolate? Was it good? It was awesome. Um, because she, It was in a little dynamite box. 
Um, and there was a couple of like those um, what do they call it? Pop rock, rocky poppy, poppy rock things where you where you eat them and like there's little fireworks in your mouth in your mouth. Poppy rockies. And mm-hmm. yeah, poppy rockies. And um, pop, and it wasn't like a in a it was in a, a cardboard box that was shaped like a piece of dynamite. And 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 uh, my my wife gave it to me and said, "This is because you're my dynamite." And I was Aww. like, "Okay." Thank you. Oh, that's I, I don't cute. know quite know what that means, but it was it was very sweet. I think um, she probably just thought it was a funny looking box and wanted to say something funny. But that's yeah, cute. now I have to go and get something um, equally equally adorable for White Day in a month. Yeah, well, <sighs> get her a lighter. Yeah, then. Just get her a lighter. A lighter. And say, well, <laughs> you can you can you can light my fuse, baby. It's because you light my fire. There you go. Here's a See? lighter that you're. you're you're never yeah, going to use. You're good. Yeah. All right. Let's, Sir Christopher Gilbert is the international throw. dispatch all across the, uh, all across this fine Pacific Ocean, live from Tokyo, connected through the power of all kinds of cool technology. Um, yeah. We got lots of cool stuff we want to try to squeeze in here, Chris. Um, yeah, let's do it. Where, where are we taking it on our little tour around the world? All right. Uh, well, I'm sorry to the all the shift heads who are probably absolutely sick of this story, but there are a bunch of people. Uh, New Zealanders on the lawns of the New Zealand Parliament right now waving Canadian flags. And uh, if you don't know what's going on, uh, Brendan's doing like the crazy-eyed nod at me, like, okay, that sounds wild. And it is wild, Brendan. If you don't know what's going on, it's completely like, you know, like cognitive dissonance sort of thing happening here. And apparently... You guys over there all got in your trucks and you went for a big drive and you made a big brouhaha... And apparently, that's made its way over to New Zealand. Now, I don't care about the brouhaha, and I don't care about the trucks. You guys do whatever you want. But what I do care about are the people who are festering in their own juices, camping in the mud for a week on Parliament lawns, and they're still there. They're not bathing, and they're not... Well, they're not bathing. (laughs) <laughs> you know well they've and, set up hot tubs in some places which makes it even more curious to me because uh, that's been one of the things is that they've set up hot tubs and would you really uh, communal bathing in general to me gives me the heebie-jeebies because of really one thing and that's a floating band-aid but when you are oh, yeah. at an encampment like that and that's what you're doing and there's a hot tub yes it's been cold in ottawa so that makes sense to me how great would that feel except not many people have had showers communal bathing um see above comment about band-aids okay well it's so so your guys are camping over there too are they they're hanging out on the lawn well, there's no, there's, yeah, it's on the streets, power. actually. One of the problems here is that right. they're not protesting. They're blocking the streets, which is... That yeah, we illegal. have the same thing. Yeah. So let me get well, a bit we're of... We're not a, flying New Zealand flags here, though, just so you know. You bloody well should be. A little bit of context. The New Zealand Parliament is immediately surrounded by the main university in Wellington campus, Victoria University of Wellington, and it's also the main trans- transport hub is right by the Wellington Parliament. So they're blocking all that off. Uh, but the thing is that whatever you know do what you got to do i'm all for peaceful protest but these people it's, it's summer in new zealand it's rainy it's muggy and the parliament lawns is now like a nightmare scout camp situation you can imagine mm. so these are white people with dreadlocks who have been in the hills since the anti-nuclear protests in the 1980s just marinating in hemp oil and they've decided to like just trick down from the hills <laughs> and set up camp 
you know, uh, right on the parliament lawn. And and as if they're not gross enough, no offense, but they're gross. The situation is now gross because a typhoon has come and battered the place. The Speaker of the House, Trevor Mallard, to get rid of them, turned the sprinklers on. They covered the sprinklers with road cones. And then the, <laughs> so the, the, the water just just seeped, soaked into the earth. So the earth is now just a giant swamp. The typhoon broke down all their tents, so there's just like crap everywhere. The speaker then played Barry Manilow and the Macarena out of the parliament buildings to try and like bad taste them away, underestimating just how lame these people are because they, do, they hear the Macarena and they immediately start dancing. They're washing in the public. You guys have hot tubs? These guys are outside the Supreme Court what, like, with a bar of soap sitting in the public fountain. Like, you know, like, <laughs> the, like a, you know, like a pond, a public, like a waterway. Like, they're sitting there naked. They're on the news with the guy scrubbing saying, oh, a good protester is a clean protester. And the thing is, it's not even peaceful because they're abusing everyone that's walking past wearing a mask including school kids they went into the university bookshop like people who work in a bookshop like on bookshop wages started abusing them for wearing masks the supermarket down the road was forced to close because they're getting so much abuse from these people they drove because it's so swampy 15 minutes away to Karori, a different suburb to steal rubber mats from a skate park they're stealing from children and to, to put it down in their little encampment. And they're spitting in bus windows at the bus driver. They're just driving the round. They don't need to be spat at on their day. And I'm just like, honestly, I was like, I've been seeing this for a week. And I was like, I have to say something about this on the radio. This is getting feral. So it's Wellington University that's outside Parliament in New Zealand? There's two campuses. So it's called Victoria University of Wellington. And the main campus is up on the hill about 10 minutes away. But the, it's called the Pipitia campus. It's the Commerce campus. And it's uh, the Victoria University Commerce campus is immediately around Parliament. Yeah. Uh, the street that they're blocked off in Canada, in front of Parliament in Canada, is Wellington Street. Found that interesting. Hey, mate, if only we had an Ottawa Street, I would be, you know, I'd jump on the um, the Fight for Freedom or whatever's Facebook page and say to block that off immediately just for a bit of, you know, sister cityhood going on um i do i i totally forgot i'm sorry but i do have a, a clip uh from the news because i i saw this on the news of one of the protesters talking so um let's listen to that quickly brendan can we play that one What's becoming clearer is how much people are willing to sacrifice for this cause. I'm leaving my husband. He got the booster today. He's gone. I don't want anything to do with him. I seriously believe he's going to die. That's getting off topic. Yeah, that's getting off topic. So, okay, yep. obviously, clearly she's not smart because if he's going to die, then just take the inheritance. Hello. Yeah. Um, Ryan, you want to say something, bud? I think he's it's stunned. Just, I mean, it's sad. A, just genuinely, like, that sucks. I mean, there's probably yeah. some stuff before COVID, but just, she was very sure of herself. I'll give her credit. You know, she just went yeah. right in. My husband's gone. He's gone. Never see him again, and that's fine. He's living with that. Nice accent. Yeah, I'm it's very South African. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I just, I saw that. South uh, it's just like yeah, it does yeah. Which is pretty good. A South African accent is pretty hard to do. So all you have to do is aim for New Zealand and just like you know shoot a bit lower and you get there. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that. The other thing is that New Zealand is currently at the start of its Omicron surge. 
So cases are doing that thing where it goes from 200 to 400 to 800 to 1600 at the moment. And uh, so these people are all just lying around in the mob. By the way, the porta potties are also overflowing. So they're literally playing. Like the, there's kids there just playing in, in you know. Oh. So um, guys, clean up your act and clean up your filth. And uh, they're, 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 they're set chain. Yeah. Um, clean up your act and, and you know what? Go have a bath that's in, your, in a bathtub, not in a public fountain. And oh. uh, that's, that's my piece on New Zealand. Okay. Um, we're taking a little tour here. Um, why are we going to the UK? Uh, the UK, apparently in Somerset, um, I don't, I'm not sure if that's the accent of Somerset, but it sounds like it should be. Um, yeah. There's a ghost there. It apparently is a beauty spot or a beautiful spot called Dead Woman's Ditch. Sounds very picturesque. Mm. And there's a ghost there. Okay, let me just tell you. The Somerset ghost, which tells people who visit beauty spot to F off. F star 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 off. So he's a foul-mouthed ghoul who is said to be a woman in white who is telling people to leave in no uncertain terms. Uh, ghost hunters were called the Somerset, Somerset beauty spot over an angry ghost who is shouting and swearing at tourists. The potty mouth spook is said to be a woman in white who apparently tells people visiting Quintock Hills to F off. Um, and I, I am saying F off. She is not saying F off. She's saying the full word. The rude apparition is said to haunt an area known as Dead Woman's Ditch at Overstowey. Um, the site on the Quintock Hills in Somerset was named after the murder of Jane Walford by her husband, John, in 1789. Oh, God. That's so nice of the British, eh? Like, a lady gets murdered, and they're like, cool, we'll call this Dead Woman's Ditch. Well, that's, oh. that's, that's wonderful. But now, and so <laughs> when, when, I first, when I first started reading well. the story, I was like, oh, this is clearly someone walking around in a bed sheet with, you know, like holes cut out over the eyes going boo at people, but with worse language. No, it's a real ghost. It's a foul-mouthed phantom lurking in the area. Uh, ghost hunting couple Christine and Dave Thomas launched an investigation a couple of years ago, and said, Christine has said she uh, was shouted at and told to F off by, quote, nasty evil spirits. Uh, her husband also picked up on her voice before being rudely told to leave. That's, that's what you want from ghost hunters, isn't it? People who maybe pick up on a voice in an area. Uh, the pair claim to have other encounters. There's also people who are like, oh, yeah, I've seen a lady in white on the side of the road and stuff like that. But apparently, Shane and co, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. a real ghost in Somerset, which is actually swearing at people. And I don't know about you, but that makes Somerset now a tourist destination for me. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you have to go now, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You have to. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So Christopher Gilbert, yeah, International so Dispatch, he's spot, live in Tokyo. Sorry, we got a little delay there, but uh, live in Tokyo. Yeah. Now, you have another story from the UK since we're talking about it. This is not Dead Woman's Ditch, which at least uh, in the name is historically accurate based on the info we have. So I'll give him credit yeah. for that one. This one, a little less <laughs> dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, do you know like the Paul Newman sources, like the source bottle, they have Paul Newman's hmm. face on them? Oh, didn't you have yeah. like a dressing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, dressings and sauces. So I want you to imagine the label of that when, as I you know, tell you what I'm about to tell you, which is that the queen is launching a royal ketchup. And all I can imagine is the queen's face, Paul Newman style on a ketchup bottle. Um, 
She's releasing her very own line of condiments. The saucy line is including tomato sauce, brown sauce, a.k.a. steak sauce, and it's being produced at the Queen's Estate in Sandringham, Norfolk. That's, uh, that's right. Your ketchup can now be served from your majesty. Uh, the tomato sauce can be made with dates, <laughs> apple juice, and spices, according to The Sun, the reputable outlet, The Sun. Um, and it's uh, pitches. It's ideal for breakfast or any time of the day. Um, the Queen's brown sauce is packed with vinegar and spices, uh, apparently, also according to The Sun. Uh, it's very similar to Worcestershire. I never know how to say this. Worcestershire sauce. Um, it's very similar to that. Help it is out, only Ryan. going. Ryan to... was helping you out there. Worcestershire. <laughs> it is... Worcestershire. 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 When I was a kid, I think we called it Worcestershire. 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 But um, I can't say it. And I can't I just, buy it I can either. listen here for five minutes here. You try to say that. This is amazing. Can I try and get it right? Like, wait, yeah. Ryan, say it one more time, please. Oh, now I'm going to say it wrong. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. It's like the T. You what? put less emphasis on the T. You just want to get through the shishire. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. I wish everyone could see your mouth right now. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> Why do I do this to myself? Uh, you can only buy it from the Sandringham Royal Estate in England and from the online store. It's going to be $9 for this bloody sauce. Tough and what the story does not answer is where those $9 are going because these sponges are publicly funded, the royal family, right? And so I shouldn't say that. So I know there's a lot of royal fans in Canada, but, you know, whatever. Um, the Queen is apparently a big fan of burgers, so she's making sauces. She's getting going to get money for it. No you idea know, where that money is going. I don't understand why she wouldn't just make a marmalade. That, to me, seems to make more sense. Because she likes burgers. You don't put marmalade in burgers. Yes, but you put it with your tea and your biscuits. Now, I absolutely can't wait for Ryan to do an impression of the Queen talking about ketchup. Look what you've created. So Here we go. Let's do it. Oh, Reginald. <laughs> Reginald. I say, this brown sauce is unequivocally excellent. I might put it on my biscuits. I might put it on my tea. Who knows? Endless <laughs> possibilities. I didn't Wait. think there'd be anything more embarrassing than me trying to say Worcestershire sauce, but there you go. Ryan just did it. Solidarity, man. I'm with I you. I think that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, oh, man, well uh, this is fun. Sir Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo. It's the International Dispatch. Thank you so much, brother, for being here. And take us on a news tour of the world. Yeah, man, I'll see you guys next week. This is the Shift Podcast. Worldwherethings.com is uh, Greg Fish's website and blog where you can read all of the wild things and the weird things that he likes to talk about. How you doing, Fishy? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? I'm good. Very good. It's snowing like crazy here. I take a second, you know, in Southern Ontario where it's going to get nice and warm today, I think the high is around nine for Toronto here in Southern Alberta. It's pounding with snow and we've had a couple of inches already, which we haven't seen in a little while. Lots of snow in California for you right now, Greg. Uh, I mean, no, not really. Uh, there was a little bit of a drizzle, and it was 15 today. So, you know, very chilly day as far as we're yeah, concerned. I don't know how you survive. 
That's kind of yeah. I don't know either. I, I I somehow make it. <laughs> if you go to World Weird Things uh, WorldWeirdThings.com, you can see how confirmation bias has become the most valuable and dangerous product in the world. That is the headline on the article. Where are we going, Fish? We are going into the science of confirmation bias. So everyone knows we like to hear what we already believe and have mm. our ideas validated, but why? And that's actually an interesting question. Scientists have been studying that for quite a while, and they've come up with a few ideas. So cool. the first important thing to know about your brain is that your brain is lazy. It just is. It consumes a lot of energy, and it does a lot of computations, and it's always active, so it needs a lot of shortcuts in order to save enough of that energy to do the really complicated cognitive tasks. So it does a lot of things by inference. And usually when we talk about that, it's you focus on things that you want to notice in your field of view and things in your peripheral vision. Yes, you'll see things moving, but then if you focus on it, that's when you see it. And you don't remember everything that you've seen. You don't remember everything, everything that you've done. So you already know that your brain is pretty selective about what's going on. But that also extends to the way that you think the world works in more abstract ways. So a lot of your preconceptions about politics, about human relationships, about demographics are all really kind of driven by your brain kind of going, yeah, that sounds about right. And then if you can get that validated, there's a little dopamine surge that says, okay, yes, I was right. That's good. I don't have to do the work of really changing my views. And in fact, if you are confronted with evidence that kind of shatters your worldview, it does cause you like physical discomfort. And and when I say physical discomfort, I mean, genuinely, it doesn't feel great. So let's start with what is confirmation bias. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting foundation for this, because I love this stuff. This stuff to me is 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 fantastic and we need to know this this is not a like a super nerdy fish has got some wild thing to talk about we as humans are better off when we understand this plus one other topic that i'm going to add like to me which is like the icing on the confirmation bias cake uh in just one second so here is a basic definition of the confirmation bias which is our ability or tendency to interpret new evidence that's the information that fish is talking about your brain finding out new things the uh, ability or tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. It's not listening. That's not what we're doing. We're not listening. We're not present. We're not paying attention. We're confirming something that we're already thinking. Take it away. So, and yes, that's exactly what it is. And the reason why we do it is because our brain wants to avoid doing the hard work of constantly reconciling and reshuffling all the things that we need to learn about. And as part of that, we do look for things that kind of allow us to keep functioning the way that we that we're functioning. You know, it's kind of like a like a mental inertia. And then the other interesting issue that scientists have researched is they wanted to say, well, if people have different political beliefs, how does that shape their confirmation bias? And it actually does have an effect the more conservative you tend to be, the more likely you are driven by fear to new stimuli, or rather you interpret new stimuli with caution as potential danger. 
Whereas if you're more liberal, you are more you're more likely to seek novelty. But sometimes you seek that novelty at the expense of actually trying to build a coherent worldview. So there's there's kind of like pros and cons about that. You don't you don't necessarily want to treat every single new piece of information of okay yes that's the new truth i'm going by that this is the best thing ever but you also on the other hand don't want to treat every single new idea or every single new thing that you see as a threat unfortunately that does tend to happen quite a bit when social media gets involved imagine at work imagine if you took to your boss every fancy new piece of technology or idea that you could find this is the coolest new thing. We need to do this. Forget about selling computers. We're going to sell flying taxis. And your boss is like, yeah, we're going to fly selling taxis or sell flying taxis. Like that's a wild example of one of the ways of thinking. But then you go to your boss and you have another boss where you're like, uh, hey, boss, um, selling chalkboards isn't working anymore. We need to look at selling tablets. And your boss is like, nope, let's not move too quickly. Market could come back. You know, these are the kinds of experiences we have in our lives at work every day where people's thinking is uh, limited or at least masked a little bit, blinded by some of these um, biases that we carry. And the other interesting thing now is that we're in the past. You could say, okay, look, flying taxis, Probably not the safest product yet. Probably want to give it a minute. And chalkboards are definitely not coming back. Like that's not a market that people are really into. You could have those conversations. But now with social media, you have the boss that goes on Facebook and their entire feed is flying taxis are the next big thing ever. You need to start buying your own flying taxis. No one's going to be, no one's going to be driving cars anymore. Everyone's going to be flying. And then your other boss is going to be looking at you know, the chalkboards are coming back. All these, all these tablets are just a fad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really yeah. what's happening is that those websites where we tend to spend most of our time right now are custom built to deliver us what we want. And that's something that we talked about quite a bit. But one of the things that we didn't talk about is how that feeds into people's confirmation bias because they open that social media feed and they get a reinforcement of whatever that idea is but then they get pulled deeper and deeper into that world because they don't see any contradictory information because the companies that serve them that information are afraid that if they start disagreeing with their users or showing them information that they don't like, they're going to leave so they won't be able to have their eyes pinned to the site as much and make as much money, which becomes a real problem when we're not talking about flying taxis and, and chalkboards. But when we're talking about some very basic principles of like, what is reality? Is there like, is this danger? Is this virus dangerous? Is this protest well, a good idea? Is I this politician a good person? I'd say what is research has even been lost. Um, you know, we often people say, I do my own research. Well, no, you're not actually. You're studying someone else's research. You yeah, know, I mean, that's one of the unless things. You have a, unless yeah. you have a lab, you're not doing your own research. You're just no, reading so what somebody else said. Since we're talking about definitions, like si this is very simplistic, but science is nothing more than a systematic study, really. It's a systematic approach to be able to find an outcome. Now, if you're looking for an outcome because you're looking for evidence to prove your theory, then that's not science, right? That's not science. That's seeking evidence. And so when we say science and then research, of course, is the work that goes into the science. But study, study is reading other people's work. 
So when all these people, when they talk about all things in the last, you know, couple of years that you hear, I've done my, do your research. I've done my research. Nope. That's actually not research. That's just study and people use it wrong. And we get this fish. We get this wrong all the time. Like we as humans, we do not know what bias is. We do not know what confirmation bias is seeking evidence. We do not know what science is. We do not know what research is we do not know what study is and yet we throw these words around like we're experts well and again it's because the services that we all use are afraid to disagree with us and tell us what they actually are because they're really afraid we'll stop using them because we'll get mad and this is kind of you know the cardinal sin of technology today we have prioritized people's comfort with their own thoughts so much that we dare not contradict them and it spills it into our and spills out into our culture. It spills out into a lot of conversations that we have. But you're right. You know, a lot of these concepts that we're talking about are these very nebulous concepts. And one of the worst things to admit is to say, I, as a person, have confirmation bias. I have I have my own biases. I have my own things that I would like to be true. And I will definitely react very positively. When I see these things that confirm what I want to hear, and I will react very negatively when I see things that completely burst my bubble. And everyone has this. Literally everyone has this, myself included. So the big question that we need to ask ourselves is how do we get out of this? And the thing that I've learned over the years is that you have to ask yourself two very important questions. First, what am I willing to see? What evidence Will I, will I need to see in order to change my mind about this topic? And two, is the standard of evidence that I've set in any way realistic? Because these are two things I'm trying to establish. First of all, am I completely wedded to this idea? And two, how rational am I about this particular fact? Am I, am I too invested in it? Am I asking for something that is impossible in order to prove me wrong? Because I don't want to be proven wrong. If I am asking to do something ridiculous, then I probably really need to rethink why I believe something that I believe. I love this hippy dippy stuff. This is my favorite. I ever told you my um, my writing about morality and integrity and um, the truth and how the truth isn't real? Well, the truth is whatever we say it is, or rather what the majority of people say it is, but... That, well, no, I would, that I, works. I, I, let me let me help you with that one because you just collapsed two together, and this is where we get. This is where it gets really exciting. You're right. The truth is what we say it is. The truth is what happened, and we have to separate. You know what happens in life and the way we perceive what happens in life, right? Um, so, for example, it can be raining and we get wet. So we, but we tell the story about getting wet. We don't talk about rain. How's your day? Terrible. I got wet. But yet we say my day is terrible because it's raining. So we get all this stuff mixed up. So let's clarify a couple of things here. The truth is, the truth is what happened as you perceived it. It's really only what happened as you perceived it. So if you're ever going into a discussion with somebody, what you need to do in order to succeed in a discussion, any conversation that involves the truth is assume that we're both right. Because your truth and my truth are both, you know, the truth, even though they might be different. And I've given this example on a shift before. Boy walks into the classroom. Teacher says, what color is the sky? Boy says gray. Teacher says, no, the sky is blue. Boy says, no, the sky is gray. And so in that example, the boy opens the window and he says, look, it's gray. It's cloudy. So is the sky gray? 
No, the sky is actually blue, but today the sky appears gray. And when we don't use the proper language, that is, they're both truth, right? But what is accurate is the sky is blue, the sky is covered in clouds. So facts and accuracy and the truth are all very distinctly different, yet they dance together. So you can't really have the truth without having facts, which are widely, that's the agreement part, that's the widely agreed to be a thing. And accuracy is as accurate as best you know it. So you can't function without having the elements of all of those things. And the confirmation bias kicks in, as Greg was describing, with the truth, your perception about what is happening in life. It's beautiful. And and that's and, and this is all very important. We need to be able to figure out what where are we coming from that something is true for us, just like that discussion. And the thing that we really need to realize right now as, as societies uh, in light of current events over the past six years or so, especially. <laughs> I, I, love how you, I love how you're just gentle about that. That's cool. Yeah. In light of uh, current events. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to be nice for now. That, well, that may slip as I, as I continue. Well, you but know what, be- though? I think, it's, I think it's great because what you're not, what you're doing is you're not actually creating bias on a topic. And so actually what Greg's doing here is he's working to not create your listening confirmation bias to agree or disagree with what Greg is saying. Because if Greg says a specific topic in politics or geopolitical stuff, um, our listening changes into our bias. So I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. But yes, that is exactly what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> and that's why and that's why I'm saying I'm trying not to slip. So right. ex- exactly. So one of the big things that we need to realize in light of recent events is that right now it is very profitable for people who are whose job is ostensibly to tell us the news, to curate the facts, to give us the information that we need to go about our daily lives, have every incentive to either lie to us or misrepresent things to us for profit because they want us to agree with them so we will give them money or we'll give them time so they can make money out of it. And the way that we need to deal with that is that we need to dig deeper and we actually do need to do studies and we do need to figure out and we do need to talk to each other but that's not really in the interest of the people who are making the money off of basically just feeding us what we want, what yeah. we want to hear. And that's Clicks and that's and really the big problem. Basically trying to say that we're all kind of at fault here for hearing what we want to hear. And we may be correct about what we may be absolutely correct about one thing, but about something else, we probably don't know enough to be completely correct. So we need to hear what other people have to say on the subject. So all of these conversations need to happen. But in order for them to happen, in order for them to be facilitated, we kind of need to admit to ourselves that the current incentive model that we have for the internet, for, for news media, for social media, prioritizes confirmation bias and making sure that whatever we want, we get in one way or another and that's just and that's just really not healthy for us so that's so this is really why it's so important to understand how we're ruled by confirmation bias because this is you know you're wondering why are people at each other's throats why is there so much turmoil why are all these bored people who are trying to look for a mission in life taking up these ridiculous extreme causes well Mm -hmm. that's why they fell down the rabbit hole of confirmation bias and they either can't get out or don't really want to and we have to kind of reshape a lot of incentives for them to start getting enough information to have those conversations and say, okay, well, where are you coming from that I sound crazy to you? 
or that I that whatever I'm doing is just not is, is just just looks completely nuts from your perspective. Cause and effect. Confirmation bias is a cause. What's the outcome? What's the effect of confirmation bias to you? The effect of confirmation bias is that we filtered the world not as it is, but as we want it to be. So when we start mm-hmm. making decisions, important decisions that affect our lives, that affect other people around us, if we have some sort of uh, some sort of power, if we're in charge of something, we make decisions that are detrimental without understanding that they're detrimental or why they're detrimental. So we That's can right. even see, hey, we made bad decisions and this is not working. But instead of saying, hey, maybe I made a bad decision, we don't get that information that tells us, hey, maybe you, ba- you made a bad decision. We get information that says, no, your decisions were wonderful. And then we start looking for scapegoats. And that is one of those things that fuels extremism. When you have people making a lot of decisions that really backfire on them, and then they start looking for scapegoats, eventually they will pick up torches and pitchforks and you know occupy a couple downtowns or two. Yeah. And you know what? Um, to uh, Fish's point, what it gives us is a sense of belonging. It might not be the, even the belonging we want or that we need, but it gives us a sense of belonging. And, and that's that fear part. That it's the, it's the part uh, that we're so afraid to not belong or get kicked out that we will go to a place just to belong, even though it might not be what we believe in or we agree with. But hey, everyone's doing it. And I feel like there's change. I feel like there's this energy here. I want to be a part of this. Well, and you see it all the time when they do interviews, like, why are you here? I'm here for the free hot dogs, right? Like they don't even know what the cause is. Now, Fish, um, it's worldofweirdthings.com. Read the article. Confirmation bias is not only present in politics and our uh, social media listening, where it is rampantly feeding us this drug of confirmation bias. I totally agree. But just remember, it's also present in your relationships. You know, you think you're stupid. You surround yourself with people that tell you you're stupid because that's the way it goes. Fish, we didn't even get a chance to get into the, um, you know, the real blinder here, which is, you know, this is the icing on the cake part. It's the reticular activating system and the fact that we're even being filtered before we even realize on the info. So we're going to have to do something on that coming up and add that to our confirmation bias chat. Absolutely. That's This is a topic that you can mine for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks if you wanted to. Yeah. For those who don't know, a reticular activating system is a piece of your brain that filters out information that your brain doesn't think matters. You ever gone to buy a car and you buy a red car and then you have a red car and then you realize there's red cars everywhere. That's a good example. You never didn't notice red cars before because your brain didn't think it mattered. But now you like red cars, you have a red car, and now you notice red cars. That's your brain actually working against you in this. So that's a whole other topic. This is fascinating. Thank you so much, Fish. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 